Hi everyone, I'm Rob Hall. I'm the CFO of Oyster Consulting and the host of today's podcast. Are you trying to decide whether you should outsource your FinOp position? Today's podcast might be able to help you with that. Today I'm here with Oyster's FinOp consultants, Jeff Harple and Clark Tucker, and we'll discuss why it's a good idea. Jeff and Clark both have extensive experience as outsourced FinOps, as well as having held CFO and FinOps positions in the securities industry prior to working for Oyster. Clark, why don't you give me a uh, brief overview of uh, what the FinOps role is and how Oyster can help? Well, FinOps is one of the three required functions for a broker-dealer. You have to have a CEO, executive rep. You have to have a chief compliance officer. And you must have a financial and operations principal. And obviously the, the, the roles and the duties associated with them are segregated. But to focus on the FinOp role, it's the overseeing, the supervision of all of the financial and operational aspects of the broker-dealer. I think we uh, focus primarily on the financial and regulatory reporting aspects of that role. So in doing that, uh, we work with local teams, uh, with the staff, with accountants or bookkeepers at firms, and try to uh, review the, everything that's taking place to make sure that it's compliant, and then take from that to prepare financial reports and regulatory reports, and then ensure that the firm is compliant and remains compliant in its in its filing and in its contact and interaction with with regulators. And so we can help uh, you know fill that gap when that gap exists and the and the experience may not be resident already in a broker dealer. Well, uh, what what do you think? Uh, well, Jeff, want to ask you this? Uh, uh, what do you think makes a good CFO or or FinOp? Well, I, I think there's a couple ways to look at that. <clears throat> I mean, first is to be a good FinOp, in my mind, you, you need the background and experience working in a, in a broker-dealer. It's a very specialized industry with very specialized rules, like the net capital rules, the other financial responsibility rules that, that Clark was talking about. And if you've never been exposed to them at all, they're, they're going to be, they're going to seem like they're from out of left field and you're really not going to know what's going on. So you really need to have had experience in the business, in the industry. Um, you also need to be able to see the sort of the big picture of things. The financial responsibility rules require a, a lot of information about the firm in total. And if you really don't understand an entire firm or the entire business, it's very difficult to, to be sure, and we always have to be sure, that you really are in compliance, that you've asked every question you need to ask, that you've got all the documentation you need to get to really ensure you're, you're compliant with all the rules. So I think those are, are very important. And, and with those go all the things you might typically think of as a good accountant or controller or CFO as far as being very detail-oriented, very cognizant of deadlines, tasks that need, need to be completed, the order of those tasks. 
and and all of those kind of things you might typically think of as a and I'm an accountant, so I guess I can say this as an accounting mentality or an accountant's mentality. So I mean, I think all those are are, are necessary to be a, a very good FinOp. Your comment, Jeff, was good in that um, you can't turn a turn an accountant into a FinOp unless they are they are know the firm. They you know you can't just hire an accountant. And then expect them to take the uh, take the series 27 and be the FinOp uh, unless they they have the experience with the firm. It's a hard and fast requirement from Finra yeah. that someone doesn't just take the test and then get anointed the responsibility because they can't yeah. possibly know it yet. There is you know usually the one year rule or, or guideline where you have to have uh, the the credentials plus the appropriate experience, and that's where you know, periodically you see where someone thinks, oh, well, I passed the test, now I'm as good as you are. Yeah, and we've run into that in our experience. You know, I know, Clark, you, you've worked on a number of engagements where uh, where they're trying to find somebody to, to fill a, a full-time, and, and you're filling in until they find that person. Beyond that even, Rob, uh, beyond that is that once they find that person, while that person is gaining experience, we can tend to transition the roles. So, you know, for some period of time, I would work with that person while I'm still the FinOp, but then at a point in time, six months or a year out, we transition that and that person becomes the named FinOp. Uh, yet, you know, we're still there behind the scenes in a support role to help them with any odd questions that come up so that you know, even once we've made that transition, we're still a support for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I've had that experience, too, um, where, in my case, the, the person who was going to take over was, was actually already identified, yep. but they needed to pass the, the test, the exam, and they also needed to get the experience. So we act as the FinOp for that year, typically. After that year, we became support. They became the name been up and we gave them support, answered questions, built on their experience, filled in the gaps. It works real well, actually, for the firm. And I, and I think that it's important that that potential clients understand that that's actually a normal part of what we're doing. It's it's not, you know, it's not uh, as if we came in on a temporary basis and then there's some concern about ending the relationship because this is a smooth off ramp to the relationship. We can come in when they need immediate help and give them that help and work with their people and get everyone trained up and, and build the new norm of what needs to happen. And then at the time when it's appropriate to hand it off and reverse the roles, it's not like we're going to just walk away and they don't have to feel like we have walked away. We just transition the role and continue to support them until that new person really is fully up and running. And that's a very normal part of what we do. So that actually goes right into my next question. I mean, what are the common mistakes that an inexperienced uh, uh, FinOp might be making? Jeff, do you want to handle that one? I mean, to, to, me, to me, the most common mistake, and, uh, and I don't know if I want to call it a mistake exactly, but it, it's, it's really that lack of knowledge or experience. I mean, it's easy to, to read the rule book and think 
okay, I got it. I'm going to go do this. And you might not realize there are certain nuances or interpretations that regulators have that you have to take into account. And, and you know, I was, I was younger once, so I can say this, I think. You know, it's, it, it's kind of easy to be young and cocky and overconfident, and you got to be careful. You got to be careful that, you know, you don't be afraid to ask a question, be afraid to uh, say, hey, I need a little help on this. I know all this, but there's this one thing. And it, it, a very common mistake is to, to not do that. You can end up in nice, deep water if you do that. I know that I've called and asked you questions a number of times. So uh... Yeah, everybody, I mean, everybody pretty much I know or have worked with in the, in the FinOp world, you know, you, you have people who have done the role and you call them and you ask questions. I mean, the field, in my estimation, and I think Oyster is a terrific example of, you know, we help each other out. You know, the five-minute question can save you uh, millions of dollars down the road. So, you know, don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone. And if it turns into a bigger question, well, then we can help in other ways. But um, ask questions. I mean, I think that's a advice to anybody starting out. You might call me, and I have a whole bunch of other people I can also call. So you're, you're, it's not just us. We're leveraging that out to get the best answers we can possibly get. You know, if we don't, if we don't know, we find it. <laughs> um, I agree with that. I, uh, to build on what Jeff just said, I think, uh, you know, to and, and Rob, also to circle back to your question about mistakes. And I think that if you've been in this business long enough, you realize that there are enough odd nuances to different things that makes you then understand you probably don't know all of the questions. And if you have someone with different experience or more experience, that's always a good thing because that person may see the unknown unknown to you and may know the question that should be asked and then ask it and get the answer to it or know whom to pull in uh, given a certain topic that based on limited experience might not register as a point of focus. Um, but someone with experience and, and a team of people might be able to help in those peripheral ways that are not as obvious to a brand new person with a shiny license. Another mistake, I mean, you, you learn something and you think you got it, but if you're not keeping up to date and current, with anything that might change, what you what you learned five years ago might be wrong today. And if you if you're not you know reading or or attending um, conferences or talking to other people, it's really easy to get into the trap of, well, that's what I did before, and it was always right and acceptable, but it might not be today. So you, you've got to keep up. You've got to keep current. You got to keep in touch with regulators, other industry leaders, and things like that. Yeah, that's a that's a good good point. So, Clark, uh, last year um, they came out with a new uh, principal financial officer versus principal operations officer rule. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Sure, um, I think that this is an example of the industry. Uh, I will say, finally, to put some opinion to this, uh, finally recognizing the realities of uh, the situation in a lot of firms. In small firms, you know, with limited purpose, one line of business or what have you, the roles could be easily combined, et cetera. But 
in in larger firms with different avenues of business and and different functions, I think it is probably safely stated that it's largely untrue that a single person actually had effective control over all of the many functions that were taking place. And so, uh, in my experience at least, the, the person that was really over the financial operations of the firm uh, had much less to do with the day-to-day -day operations of different departments. And this division of titles allowed for responsibility to be assigned at a more local level with, yes, granted, still one single uh, senior point of focus, but still, this allowed for different people to be responsible for their areas of expertise and their areas of responsibility uh, at a more local level. I think this was a, a long overdue correction uh, that instead of having everything go to a single person, uh, it allowed for uh, a more accurate reflection of, of the business and how it's being run. I, I celebrate it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, for, for many years, especially if you were in a large, say, clearing firm, you had to be very careful how you defined your roles and responsibilities and your job descriptions and things like that because if you were the principal financial officer or the principal operations officer, you you had you both had series 27 licenses and it was very easy sort of for a regulator to say to cross the lines and this I think clarifies that greatly so now you have a principal financial and a principal operations officer and they have their own set of expectations I think it's great so I agree with Clark now for small firms though uh it's possible for with the same person to fill both roles, correct? It is, and and it's and it, it's it's not a conflict either because with a small firm, you typically have uh, obviously much lower activity, but you also have different kinds of activity. You tend to focus the activity. You know, it might be a private placement firm or a M and A advisory firm, but they're very narrowly focused lines of business. Uh, where I think it has become and, and did become uh, an enormous problem was when you had larger firms or retail-oriented firms or clearing firms where you had a cashiering function that would be in the operational side uh, but critically important uh, as opposed to financial accounting on the other side. But typically, the person that's responsible for the financial accounting uh, and the real books and the reporting doesn't have as much to do with the day-to-day -day, you know, functioning of, say, a cashiering unit. And that's an example of where this allows each group to, to really be uh, held to its level of responsibility and, and experience. And we're not so blurring the lines by grouping all of this under one thing. Um, that's a good example there. But yes, in a small firm, uh, you know, the activity is very different, the volume is very different, and generally speaking, I think that the, the uh, specific day-to-day -day functions that are being uh, processed are much more narrowly focused and much more easily supervised. Okay. Um, Jeff, anything to add there? N not really. I think that's exactly right. <laughs> okay. Well, what are the regulators, uh, what, are you, what are you seeing the regulators uh, um, looking for? Uh, when they come in and, and do an audit of the uh, financial responsibilities and, and that capital 
Let me answer the first part of that by going back to a, a previous question about mistakes. This is this is sort of a can be a common mistake, and it also has a very easy area for regulators to pick up or pick out and pick on, and that's just the the whole notion of documentation. You know, it's the old adage: if, if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. So we're all used to that, be it compliance, auditing, or whatever. But it, but it's very true for any of the FinOp functions too. If you're going to comply with net capital rules, you've got to be able to document that you've done the proper procedures and that you know things you're calling allowable are, and things you're calling allowable aren't, and you've got to be able to prove it. And a lot of times, you might have done it right, but you can't document it. Particularly smaller firms who might not be used to that level of documentation. So, you know, a common mistake and also something regulators pick on is, is just have you documented everything that you say you're going to do? Is it there in the work papers? So one, that's a common mistake and two, examiners will look for it. Make sure, make sure you initial the things that you have reviewed. And as custodian, uh, you're, you know, as the FinOp, you're the custodian of the firm's books and records. And that's clearly enumerated in the rules. And so you are, as Jeff said, you are responsible for ensuring that the firm is maintaining the right books and records in the correct manner for the appropriate amount of time and that they're easily accessible when they need to be. And that is, that is certainly a responsibility of the FinOp. Any other questions or, or comments that uh, either of you guys uh, think are pertinent? No, not that's coming to mind. Oh, okay. okay, then. Thanks to you both for sharing your experiences. Also, thanks to everybody for listening. If you have any questions about what we've discussed or other FinOp questions, or if you have any topics that you'd like us to discuss in the future, feel free to call us at 804 965 5400, or visit our website at www.oysterllc.com.